the head bob is what let me know that you're actually going to use it because you're like, I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. All right, ready? I don't talk during the good takes. No, that's clear. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I am joined by Sylvie Lubau, our podcast producer, and my co-host. It's me. Good to see you, Sylvie. I don't know why I did that. I don't know. We're sometimes having fun. Sometimes I have moves. Sometimes I have moves. Sometimes <laughs> those. Oh, I, I didn't have... realize those were moves. I didn't realize that's <laughs> what a move was. You didn't know about this? That, no. Okay. okay. <laughs> For those listening, Sylvie's gesturing over her shoulders with her thumbs. I don't actually <laughs> understand what it is. But yeah, speaking of moves, uh, we've got Nancy Dussault-Smith, who's the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Zildjian today on the show. She's got sweet moves. She has sweet moves. Love talking to her. She's so fun. She's so smart. Um, she just can take complex topics and simplify them so quickly. So it's, it's a great episode. Great interview. Can't wait for you to listen to it. Uh, but first, Sylvie, what's got you talking to loud today? Oh, man. So many things. Truly. Ramming with things. Wow. Okay. I know. What do you got? Well, okay. This has been on my mind lately, and it, it's kind of dumb, but I don't care. No, just like get it out. So like I have a running document of ad ideas. Ad ideas. Right? Okay. Ad ideas. Cool. Okay. For products and companies that already exist. Like Interesting. Jingles, commercials. Okay. And I was thinking like I'm never going to actually get to pitch any of these ideas because that doesn't happen in the real world. But <laughs> What if a company, as their marketing strategy, had mm -hmm. like an open pitch fest where they were like, you love our product, pitch us a commercial, like you have one week. Yeah. So like they're getting their engagement. You know, I'm getting to pitch. Yeah. This feels like a win-win. You know what's very funny about this? What? Is when Brendan and I started Wistia, um, Wistia was not our first idea. It took us a year to get to this, basically helping businesses use video. The very first idea was called Tropist, and it was going to be a filmmaking competition website. And the idea was to take big brands mm -hmm. and have them say, hey, we want an ad, and then have the user-generated content of people making ads. So yep. they get all these different ad options. Right. And then they would pick it, and the idea was that the winner would get, you know, some amount of money. We thought it was like 40 grand, I think was the number we talked about back then. I was like, if you could get 40 grand to make that, that'd be so sick. And for the career of the person who made the ad. Huge, huge resume builder, booster. Huge, exactly. And and it was partially driven out of, at the time, there was a few different companies that were doing this. Doritos did this for a Super Bowl ad. And, oh, I don't um, remember that. That's like the exact I mean, kind is, of thing. Um, yes, yeah. it's sick. This is 16, 17 years ago. And there was this movie that came out called Slither. There was this horror movie with Elizabeth Banks in it. And they had a competition where they released footage from the film and whoever made the best trailer would basically win this thing. Yeah. And I did the competition. Did you win? At, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course I didn't win. Um, but I remember thinking this is such an incredible way to like engage with the brand. And that's what convinced us in the beginning to start the company. And then we didn't. We had none of the connections, and we had no idea what we were doing. And so we threw out the idea about a month into starting. Well, you know what's interesting? We kind of talk about this in the interview about timing and yeah. market fit, and 
is the market ready? So maybe now is the moment for companies you know to, to. I think do- you're right. I, I think this is actually the moment that this would work really, really well because the tools to make the video have changed so much yeah. that someone who is not a pro can make something that looks really amazing and proofs out a concept or whatever. And I, I agree. I think the time is probably here for this. Yes. Also time yes. for the interview. Let's go. Let's go. Well, Nancy, yes. thank you for being here. It's so fun to have you uh, back. I mean, you've never been on Talking Club before, but you were on Brandwagon, and we got to know each other and had so much fun. And yes. Sylvia and I were talking. We're like, we got to get Nancy back on the show. She was just such a delight. So thank you for being here. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. As you know, this show is called Talking Too Loud, and that's because when I get excited, I cannot control the volume of my voice. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it is genetic. My kids are the same way. I know some people get excited and express themselves in different ways, but we love to start the show by talking about like, what has you talking too loud right now? What has you excited? You know, it's funny when I uh, was looking at the title, I'm like, what has me talking too loud? And then I was like, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I figure other people have these really in-depth, deep things, because there's a lot of important things going on in this world. But you know, what has me talking too loud is my damn dog. <laughs> I I I got a St. Bernard. Have you ever seen these things? Is that they like are, Beethoven? Yes. Is that Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. So I have a Beethoven dog and yeah. the amount of drool uh that this dog produces is not natural. Yeah. Uh, shouldn't yeah. happen in the real world. And yet I love it. And um he is a 150 pounds puppy. Whoa. Which means that the amount of mess that happens and is associated with mm-hmm. this dog is just at a whole other level. Mm. Um, but he looks like a living teddy bear. So it, there is this dichotomy of love hate with this animal mm-hmm. that is just crazy. And I am like that new mom who I have kids, I have a husband, I have a great job. People are like, what's going on? Have you seen my dog? Like, it's awful. I need to get a different hobby and I'd love to talk loudly about something else, but that's, what's got me talking loud right now is his name is Bubba. Oh. Bubba, wow. Have you have you always had St. Bernard's? Is this the first time or this is my first St. Bernard. I've had I've always had giant breed dogs. I collect okay. giant things apparently. My husband's a massive giant man. He's like <laughs> almost six foot five and very strong big guy. And uh I think him with a little dog would look silly. Um, and I don't okay. know why I like big things, apparently. So That's I great. got me a big dog. I had a great Dane before, which is also a large dog. Um, but for some reason during quarantine, mama thought she needed a St. Bernard and boy, do I have one now. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. I and I assume your life nice. is just like, yeah. yeah, it's like a snapshot of Beethoven yeah. every day. It's, so yeah. Bubba he, running around saving that's people. Exactly. He, ha- he has yeah. his own TikTok. I'm not that person, but I did. I, I created a TikTok <laughs> for my dog and I'm a little embarrassed about it, but I have it. And he's, he's very popular in the office. The company I work for, we have um, dogs are allowed in the office if they pass the puppy training test. So there is a dog training that they have to pass a certain level. So they're not disruptive, but he, and surprising somehow he passed it. I don't know. Um, But he's, he's in the office and he's um, been part of our company TikToks and very popular with that. And uh, wow. Yes. He's even modeling t-shirts for the company now because he wears a men's extra large. Oh, of course wow. he does. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, so I've got that going for me. It got me a big drooly dog. 
There's a lot in there that you just said. So I've, I want to frame up. <laughs> unpack I that, fr- Chris. Let's unpack that. Well, I want to frame up. I mean, last time we spoke, you were on Brandwagon and you were at the head of marketing at Hydro. Oh. Yes. And I apologize for background noise. I'm going to. So yeah. I'm also one of those crazy people who yeah. over decorates for holidays. Okay. Okay. So uh, in, my, in my office, I have yeah. a hand that walks when loud noises happen. So as you said, I was talking too loud and it set off my automated hand that walked well, across good. the table. I, I think we're going to have to see that yeah, actually. We need to see the hand. I'll be more than happy yeah. to share yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you came on Brandwagon. We were talking about hydro. We were talking yes. about like, you know, connected health and all these things and what that's like. Um, and now you're here and talking too loud and you're the SVP of marketing at Zildjian. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing this properly? You are. Well done. Okay, good. Um, so catch me up, like for people who don't know, what is Zildjian? I've, you've been in tech forever. Is Zildjian becoming a tech <laughs> company? That's my assumption based on, uh, based on you being there. Yeah. So that's a great question. I have been in tech my whole life, right? But really in the side of taking something that people already have an answer for, know how to do, and adding tech that makes it even better, right? So vacuuming, you had a solution. At iRobot, we created Roomba. Now there's this whole new way to look at vacuuming, right? And same thing with connected fitness. We talked about this, right? People knew how to work out. People didn't know about rowing and how good it was for you. So I was really excited to bring that to people. And so I'm always looking at things that have been done, and is there a way Mm. to bring or infuse technology into them? And so... Zildjian is a really interesting one because it is crazy to think about, but next year in 2023, it will be our 400th anniversary. Whoa. Yeah. What? I said that. The company started in 1623. Whoa. Holy smokes. Who knew? Right? That's and some, it's, it's like a Mayflower company. This That's is insane. insanity, right? So it was started in Turkey and literally the name Zildjian means like symbol maker, basically. Um, And it was bestowed upon the family Ottoman Empire because they were making the symbols for the bands. So they were, um, it's a very old company. (laughs) It is the oldest family owned business in the United States. We are on the 15th generation of Zildjian's owning it. And I'm proud to say also female owned. Okay, so our chairman of the board is a woman. The other two Zildjian's on the board are also women. So there are three Zildjian's. Um, kind of at the helm, and they are all female, and it's pretty amazing. Um, so when I looked at this, and it was funny because as I was thinking of what my next career move was going to be, and as I was looking at different places, and I was talking to the folks at Zildjian, I was also talking to some other like super cool startupy, you know, tech companies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a bunch of people were like, Nancy, Zildjian is already established, and it's an old company. Like they, why would you even think about it? People don't know what's going on over here. This company has lasted 400 years because they're always looking to the future, right? They're always looking to what's next, to how they create the next sounds for artists, how they, in in the tight, close-knit group of artists that they have, that they work with, that help them to define what's coming and kind of adding all of those amazing noises into all of our different music that we love and care about so much. So when I started talking to the team here, which is an amazing team, and hearing what they're thinking about for the future, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. So <laughs> they actually, um, not only am I the SVP of marketing, but I'm also the general manager of new business ventures. So as we look at what's going to take this company to the next 400, that is a really exciting part of what I get to do here. Um, it's all under secret, secret, super spy stuff right now that I can't talk about, but there's some pretty amazing stuff coming from this company. 
And is that so? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so we're talking about a company that's been around for 400 years and what the next 400 looks like. Is that actually a common conversation? Like, are people actually thinking that long term? So, it is a common phrase here, right? That this company, okay. we are on the 15th generation, like a set of leaders in the family. And what they're looking to do is create and be at the forefront of music for the next 400. And coming from the tech world, and this is part of why I came here, right? And the startup world where you are constant, you are literally living to the next paycheck, right? And you're figuring out how you're getting your next funding, how you're getting to profitability, and everything is about what everybody else is saying about you. To be at a company that has the confidence and the understanding of where they fit in and the vision. I came in when I was interviewing and they're like, here's our 10-year plan. 10 years? (laughs) You got a 10-year plan? Like, uh, you know, I had been living in this world of startup for so long that it was really interesting to start looking at it, but they've also set in house the infrastructure to create something that you can actually build off of and innovate in a business that's been as um, steady and impressive as it has for the last 400 years. That's awesome. And there's obviously must be certain assumptions that people have about joining a tech company that are completely different that are there. What are some of the lessons that you would share based on your experience so far of like, what are the things that they're doing that everyone should do, but they just, they, the system doesn't let us do it. You know, it's funny because when you think of one of the things I've had to get used to here is launching new products in a different way. You know, to be honest, I've been here two months, so I'm still getting my feet wet a bit, but still in that kind of startup mentality of two months means two years. Well, also it's funny. I ask this question of everyone who starts at Wistia. I say, we're like, hey, like, let us know what surprises you, positive or negative, because mm-hmm. we don't know anymore, like, what's surprising. Like, we're just so used to it. Like, this is what I know. Yep. And, like, if there's something we're doing that's great and we don't realize it, please tell me. And if there's something that we're doing that's dumb also, please tell me. And then eventually you understand why things are the way they are and they're less remarkable. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's actually that interesting moment of, like, you're spotting stuff without necessarily knowing why it is do, being done the way that it is. And and so it's remarkable now, and, and in two years, it won't be. That's right. You know? That's exactly right. And what's there are two things that really stuck out to me here. One is the mix of the type of people that work here. So we have our traditional musicians, and there are a lot of them. You can't be in a meeting when people aren't drumming on the table, right? <laughs> There's a Steinway outside my office that people play it, like when they're walking by, and they're, right? And, yeah. and it, it is unbelievable. There are some people who I literally have a person on my team when I first interviewed here and was meeting with my team and, you know, whatever. And he's like, I don't think you understand. This is my dream job, right? He's a, he's a CPG marketer, but he's a drummer in a band. And he's like, the fact that I get to work here as a musician is just mind blowing. And so we have all these great musicians, but then at the same time, we have CPG marketers. Our CEO is an incredible businessman who's run bunch of different businesses as a as both a CEO and a top marketer. You know, you're talking Gillette, you're talking Ocean Spray, you're talking about all the bona fides. So you have all these wonderful business people meeting with all these amazing musicians and you get this great combination of art and science, right? To build a business. And I think sometimes companies get stuck in that I am in tech, I hire tech people. Well, yeah. you need that breadth, you need that diversity of different types of thinking in an organization. And I think they don't even realize the magic somewhat of what they have here with that mix. And that's kind of cool. So I, I love seeing that. That's uh, that's amazing. And then I think the other thing that kind of surprised me here was the amount of passion for the company and the brand at a company that's this old. A lot of times when you get to these really established businesses, 
It is clock in, clock out. You know what you're getting. Here's the formula of how we do things. You know, don't don't veer from left to right because this has been proven that this works, right? Like here's how it is. This place, there is so much passion for the brand and the products that we build that people are constantly innovating. And so keeping that innovative spirit alive in a business that's been around as long as this has is really hard, but it's part of the core DNA of who they are. And you have to invest in that. Like you have to invest in that feeling and giving people the power to do new things or else it's not going to work. So I'm used to tech companies. We launch things once a year, maybe, or once every year and a half, right? Like there's like this thing and this Mm. cadence that's predictable. And this is when you launch things. And um, here there's constant innovation. Um, We have this this thing called uh, the concept shop. And we build a small number of these cool symbols and promote them and have artists collaborate on them. And then we put them out and see how they do. And those that do well get made into products, right? And those that don't go away. But it's amazing to see the frequency with which those kinds of things come out and that the company is dedicated to that, to giving the artist the sounds that they want and then seeing if it sticks. So another thing I'm hearing in there is that the customer is in the building. Yes. Basically all the time. All the time. All the like time. It's That's just part of how the business runs is like the customers in the building and a lot of people who would be the customer, you're saying, you know, like they're in a band, whatever. That's their dream is to work on this. It's like people live and breathe it in a different way. It mm-hmm. sounds like. The closest thing I can think of is, I, I guess, is kind of, and maybe this is aspirational on my part, but kind of how Nike in the early days thought of their athletes, right? And when I tell you that both the people who work here, but then also Um, the door is always open to our artists and we have a huge artist roster. And I would say at least once, two, three times a week, you're going to see an artist walking through here and playing random things. We have vaults here, vaults of symbols that are pretty amazing. And there's drums set up in the vaults and we'll set up the right drum kit for whichever drummer's coming in. And they go in and they try the new things. And it's just so much fun to hear them playing and to get that inspiration. That's cool. You're at this business, 400 years old. Obviously, they've been able to figure out how to continuously innovate, which I think people miss. Mm -hmm. I've said this before, but people miss the fact that like a lot of these companies that have been around forever are actually incredibly innovative. That's why they're around. That's right. And it's easy to think that all the innovation is new companies, and it's Mm. not. And then I also have seen this like funny debate happening online recently where like uh, (laughs) a bunch of people I know who are like, uh, influencers in tech and tech marketing were like, oh, yeah, TikTok is so hot. And then they're like, TikTok's not hot. It's not going to be good for tech or whatever. And I would just love if you could like walk us through a little bit like you're laughing, but I'm, I'm leading up to this thing of like, <laughs> okay, so you need to be innovative. Of course, Zildjian's already on TikTok. Of course, Bubba also is. You're trying this and you're using these new channels. Like, what advice do you have for people who are faced with this, like, onslaught of channels today? Yeah. Like, how do you figure out what to go after and what not to go after? And, you know, I know you're going after them. That's We heard that, like, as an aside in, you know, in that intro. Um, but like, just what advice do you have for people who are looking, think, like, think of things as black and white? Like, how should, how should we be thinking about this? How does Zildjian think about this? How do you think about this? It is the, all the things that are new are old, right? So when you think of the most basic thing you learned in marketing 101, right, is the right message to the right people at the right time, blah, blah, blah. That is all social media is, right? So when we look at all these different platforms that come out, 
understanding what type of message people are looking for on that platform and hitting them with that message that is true to your brand versus trying to stuff your brand message consistent with what you're trying to get in all of the channels. Some of our most popular content on our TikTok channel is the dogs of Zildjian. And it, we call them our interns. And it is funny footage of them running around the office, being in meetings, doing silly things. And the reason is that people on TikTok love that, right? That audience yeah. is a younger audience. They want that interactive thing. If we're doing lessons or how to play, like, you know, drum learning, mm -hmm. That's a YouTube thing. That is not a TikTok thing, unless it's by a young artist who's doing something really unique and different. And so understanding who the audience is, what message you're putting out is what's going to make it successful. We don't put the same things out on TikTok that we put on Instagram, that we put on Facebook, that we put on YouTube. They are different messages because they are different audiences. And what I see happen too frequently is people make one thing and then they peanut butter spread it across because they've made it for social. No, that's not how it works. And so when I look at our TikTok, it is about engagement. It is about brand story. It is about fun and identifying with our music audience, our younger music audience. But how do you track it? <laughs> how do you know? How do you know if it's working? Yeah. Right. And that's why I say those things that I all just mentioned are the softies, right? Those are the awareness drivers, like the engagement numbers, all that other stuff. When I look at Instagram, which to us is a much more sellable platform, right? And the people who are on it tend to, there's more discretionary income often, the people who are engaging with it, they're looking at it in a different way. You can direct link to sales, you can do, you know, apparel launches, all this other stuff that happens on there. And I can measure that more tightly. So I spend more on creative and ads on Instagram than we do on TikTok because TikTok is a different play. Now, different brands may feel differently based off of who their audience is, right? If I have, you know, a very young audience that I want to engage in some sort of new dance, you know, quick change cultural moment things, TikTok's my number one play, right? And Instagram isn't. Maybe we kind of make fun of Instagram. I don't, you know, it's all about who you're trying to talk to. We're lucky in the music space in that music touches everybody, right? Zildjian is a premium brand. Our symbols are not the cheapest things, but they're the best things out there, right? They are the best if you're looking for symbols. And sometimes people will have to save up for a while to get their set, right? Like it's a big deal when they're able to get that. And that's exciting, right? And how you build them up to that. And so we have time to build that relationship with them through TikTok, and then they get to that Instagram stage, and then they're following us on our Facebook. Well, they're not on Facebook, but then they're following us on our YouTube channels to find out how yeah. to play them best and see what other musicians are setting up their kits like. That all makes perfect sense to me. Um, and that you want different things from these different audiences, you need to treat them differently. They're different demographics. So like, you know, some of those people are going to be your customer today, and some of those people are gonna be the customer in five years. And when you're thinking long term, you get to actually do that play that game yes, yes. versus like because it's kind of obvious like well TikTok is for gen z so what if what if they're not the buyer yeah i was like well they're gonna be exactly so like it's just what scale are you thinking on if you're thinking six months doesn't make sense if you're thinking years out it does exactly and and if you're thinking even the six months like you don't have to spend a ton on TikTok. what you need to do is be creative yeah right there's another thing i want you touched on there that i think is really interesting i, I love your thoughts is like Okay, you have artists. Mm -hmm. Nike has athletes. Mm -hmm. um, and you find these people who are 
you know, influencers that you can you know, endorsers where you can basically be like, you're a Nike athlete, you're you're a Zildjian artist. Mm-hmm. Do you think that opportunity exists in B two B too? Yes. What do you think it looks like in B two B? They're not as sexy as athletes and musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But there are so many powerful B2B influencers out there. And if you're looking at the people who, you know, I have a core group of people that I go to when I'm trying new technology that I know are always at the forefront of things and they understand how it works. And so they're the ones who are going to be speaking your language for you, right? Who is your apostle? Who's out there telling the world about how amazing you are? There are people like that in every industry. The question of how much influence they have is so I'll, I'm going to throw out a name. Do you know Ted Rubin? No. So I met Ted Rubin at one of these marketing conferences, God knows how many years ago. I'm embarrassed to say probably 10, 15 years ago, right? But Ted's a really smart guy who's got his finger on the pulse of most things marketing. And when I'm looking for something, I often reach out and be like, hey, Ted, quick question. I met the guy once at a conference, but immediately he struck me as somebody who was influential in the space, kind of the cutting edge of what was going to be happening. There's a few of those people in my network that I often will reach out to. And so for brands to find who has that huge LinkedIn following, who's speaking at all of the conferences that are important to this group of people that I'm looking to talk to, and how do I get them on my roster? They're a different type of engagement. What you're looking for with them is different, but absolutely, I think they're there. And do you think you can do the same type of thing in terms of like, in terms of engaging with those people? You know, you're not going to give them the Nike clothes to wear. You're not going to give them the symbols, right. probably. Right. So, what does that look like? Like, how do yeah. you, how do you actually build the relationship? And the yes. reason I'm asking this is like this. I, it comes up kind of a lot where I'm talking to other B2B companies. Yep. And they're like, oh, I just I have no idea. I, there must be influencers, but who are they? And like, what would I even give them? What would I yeah. even do? Yeah. And so. To me, it's about them understanding your product offering and who it's for and why it's good for those people. And so if you have something that you think is going to be amazing, that you give them either a trial or it free for a period, you know, for forever to be a part of that. And I've had that happen to me. I've had some folks who are in the B2B space come and say, hey, listen, we're trialing a new tech that we think is going to be good for you. Would you be interested in using it in your company? And if so, then maybe giving us some feedback. Now, it often comes from personal connections. Again, meeting people at events, the importance of networking is it's massive. Um, and I've had a few people who've come to me and said, try this. I've tried it, love the product, gave them good feedback. They change things. It feels really good and authentic. And then every company I go to, I'm using that tech or I'm telling people, you have to try this, right? When I'm out at conferences and people are saying, Nancy, you know, do you have any recommendation for this? Absolutely. Have you guys tried this tech? And it's amazing how that that flows. What's harder to say is to hold me to, Nancy, you need to share this with 12 of your, you know, whatever, and you need to, you know, that's harder than it is with a traditional influencer where you can look at an affiliate program or you can look at, you know, and see how they're performing as they share that with their larger audiences. But we all know the CAC for B2B is much higher. And so as you have more leeway, that even if it turns into two or three acquisitions for that person, that was well worth it for that company to give me use of that for a period of time. So understanding what it is and who the influencers are in the space, the movers, the shaker, the people who are willing to do it, and then having the personal connection in, right? Because I do get pitched things like that fairly regularly, I will say, like not not every day, but I get a lot of them. If I don't know the person, I'm not willing to either put myself or my company out to try something, right? It, I have to trust that that person is giving me something that I think is going to be amazing. 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think the personal connection and actually building the trust. And as you're saying, and it brings me back to the thing you were talking earlier about, about like letting the artist come in and play in the vault, which is like, obviously, if you if you let someone come in and actually use your product before it's done and give you feedback and you actually listen to it, they're going to have a stake in it. They're going to care. Right. That's right. And that's it's not that hard to do if you have a plan. It's hard to do <laughs> when you're just like, show me the influencer, then like, let me give them like my swag and hope that it, you know, yeah. that they wear it. And that's the stuff to me that it doesn't work, right? It, people see through that. My opinion is that you have to be authentic in your engagement with any influencer, whether it's B2B or B2C. This influencer space is crazy right now. And I don't, I don't like to engage an influencer work that is a one touch, right? I don't want to send somebody something that they post about one time and then it's gone. There's yeah. no value in that to me. I want somebody who really cares about this and is excited and and continually talks about it and it's authentic and their audience sees it as authentic. That's what matters. And that's why I think so many brands go to the micro influencer because they're willing to do that and they're passionate about it, right? Versus, you know, this macro influence, like these over a million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, whatever, unless they're truly tied to the brand in a very real way, like does it break through? Doesn't do much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's pivot a little bit here. Um, still on marketing. We, we have at Wistia, we're launching tons of new stuff. Yes. Like we've unlocked this and we've hired tons of people. There's tons of things coming out. We've launched a ton of stuff this summer. We have a massive launch coming out. I think actually it'll come out. We'll come up before this episode comes out, Sylvia, or no? Mm. Close. But we basically, <laughs> we have tons of stuff coming and we've changed how we're building and shipping and basically the customer problems that teams own. And the result is like, I'm looking at a roadmap of launch after launch after launch after launch, which is amazing. It's super exciting. But it is like a lot too at mm -hmm. the same time. It's a lot to prioritize. It's a lot to figure out which thing is most important, which thing is not. And everyone's busy. People will not see all of the changes. They will not understand all the applications. What advice do you have for me? What advice do you have for us as we're going through this? Like, how do we, how do we make this more likely to be more successful? Yeah, so there's a couple of things I would say. The first, and it's the hardest, right, is grow with intent. So I have seen a lot of companies who put too many things out, and there's not enough behind each of them for them to be successful right? Because you're spread too thin. You don't have enough to put behind. So when you look at your true intent of the growth um, and what you can do to make it purposeful and back it up, because if you have something, the, the hope is that one of those things takes off or two yeah. of those things take off. Are you able to divert enough energy behind those that are taking off to make them continue to grow and be successful? If you're spread too thin and you're like, oh no, but we have another launch coming in two weeks, you're not putting enough energy in the wind behind that sale because you're diverting that to something else. So not spreading yourself too thin, I think is important. When you do have all of those launches, I think it's also helpful to acknowledge that some of them are gonna fail fast and that's okay. That's one of the benefits of having lots of things, right? Is to say, yeah. this is a raging success, this less so, let's back burner this and figure out why it didn't succeed, right? So we can play that later, but let's put the energy behind the things that are, and then let's relook at that next year when we're trying to figure out that roadmap. I think as you give air between, and, and you know, we talk about this too, is there's new launches that are brand new, need a ton of care and feeding, and you're looking at kind of a huge launch process. And then there's kind of sustaining launches, things that are incremental to business that you already have that aren't as newsworthy or as exciting maybe, but they're really important to the people who care about them. 
those you can be a lot more, you know, um, just really careful with who you're messaging to. The audience is much smaller. You know who's going to love this. You can be direct with them. You can make them feel special. This was made for you based off of your experience, but you don't have to blast it. So it's, it's you know, focus, being really intentful with your growth, which areas you will expect to grow more or not, and then how, figuring out how you fail fast with some of them to pull them off of the burner, get them in the back, and then really put the air behind the ones that are working well. And the ones that fail, what should you do? So I'm a big believer in, the postmortem of understanding why they failed, right? There's a reason why you got them to the point to launch. You thought that there was the market for it and that, that this product was going to win. Why didn't it, right? And so understanding that, because it may just be something small. It may be you were talking to the wrong people. It may be that there was one little thing with the product that didn't make it work. That's an easy fix. So rather than throwing out all of that previous work uh, and money yeah. spent into investing it and being like, well, this whole thing is, and I've seen people do it, right? Well, that was a colossal failure. Throw that in the trash. And you're like, oh, hold on. If we change this one little thing, this could be massive. And that takes guts, right? Because now you're like relaunching something that maybe wasn't successful. So how do you remarket that? How do you resurrect it? And I think people who can figure out how to turn those little failures into wins, it's a really important piece. And we see it in business all the time, right? There are some things that people want to succeed and other things that it's just the wrong time. I look at, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but I there was, when I was at iRobot, there was this company that was local that had come out with a sleep training aid, right? CEO? Yeah, Zio, right? Is that it? Yeah. Zio. Yeah. We had uh, one of the founders on the show, actually. Okay, so they came, they were just ahead of their time. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, yeah, like it It was such a cool product and it was like so insane. It's like, I think the most recent Apple watch update tracks the phases of your sleep now, Mm -hmm. which is what they had like 12 years ago Exactly. with the thing you wore on your head. Yes. And it would tell you like how to like, you know, sleep better and wake you up at the right time and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so when you look at that technology, what it told you was the right thing. Like the information feedback was the right thing. I think what didn't work was wearing this weird thing on your forehead. Yeah. Right? Like people don't want to, that's not, I mean, like we look at the snorkels with the sleep apnea, you know, anybody with that, there's like this whole self-conscious, I'm wearing a snorkel to sleep. But, you know, you had this weird headband thing you put yeah. in, it's not sexy. Yeah. But they have done something different with the input. Like if it was looking at that and saying, how do we take that tech that there's a need for, because there's a need for it and find out what the problem was, fix that. And re- now startups, that's hard because you're putting everything into one product. I know. I mean, I've been doing this 16 years and I now probably know over 10 people at different companies who had exactly the right product at exactly the wrong time. Exactly, and, 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 and it's like, it's really, it's, a, it's almost heartbreaking to watch sometimes mm-hmm. because like, you see people go and they make this thing and they spend so much money and so much time and so much effort and they think they understand the problem and they actually do, but it's just too early or the implementation is just off. And I see that too. And I think we may have even said this last time we spoke to me when people ask me what's the most important thing with new product, it's timing. It yeah. is all about timing and it is all about is the market ready for this technology? Is the world ready for the, Are you ready for this? So. Um, again, I don't mean to keep bringing up iRobot, but we had so many amazing innovations there. And I remember us test driving the first, what we considered kind of the first autonomous vehicle, 
we had this gator, this like John Deere gator. I remember them mm-hmm. making announcements over the loudspeaker, like testing the gator in parking lot B and everybody would warning, run out and warning. move their cars, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, but it was this, this amazing autonomous vehicle. And I remember as we were talking about market fit, and if we really wanted to take that technology to the next level, what that meant, what that meant was lobbying dollars to try to get roadways changed, insurance dollars changed, the amount of money that was going to need to go into the autonomous car space. We were like, not our bag, right? Like this is, we're not going to win this fight. Let's focus on something else. That's a good business decision, right? We had the tech, the tech was there but we didn't have the rest of it. And so sometimes it takes those bigger companies who have those deep pockets to kind of change the perception and the time that it needs to get out there and to change it. And then that's when a lot of new tech can pop on. So identifying early, is the market ready for your new innovation? If not, how do you get them there? And is it part of working with a larger company, an internal incubation team at a big company and figuring out how you can get your innovation into that that ecosystem? Um, That's another way to get things going. Just to play back, you're saying like if you if you feel like the timing is that you're too early. I mean, if you're too late, you're gonna know. You're gonna. <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah. yeah, you're launching, and everyone else already has the thing, and it, that you're probably gonna know. Yeah. If you're right on the money, you're also gonna probably know because like growth is gonna occur. You're mm-hmm. gonna get customers. You're gonna figure it out. But if you're too early, what you're saying is like try to ask yourself: Is it because we're not at the scale that we're at? Is it because we don't have the connections yet? Or is it that like the behavior isn't actually there yet? And if the behavior is not there, and there's something else you can pivot to, that's the smart move. But the smart move also might be that if the scale required is so huge, or the timeline required is so different, that's probably when you have to be an organization that can be thinking much longer term. And that's when you should be like probably looking at like hey, do we make some progress on this? And this should be incubated into something else and we should try to you know, keep working on in that bigger company versus just like staying on your own. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think there are some times when you have something in tech that's so, and what happens is people wait too long, right? And Because that's the startup world. You, they wait this, too long to make that decision. To make saying. that decision and to try yeah. to go to a larger company to either sell the idea or, the, or an aqua hire or something like this to say, let's yeah. get this to the next level, but we need these big company resources because the dream is there, right? They've invested so much of their self yeah. and their time, and their energy into it. They want to believe it until the very last moment and when they can't anymore. And at that point, you've lost your edge. You've lost your your ability to kind of say, this is what it's worth and why it's worth it. You know, I think there are some companies who really did a good job of figuring that out and, and doing it well. I'm going to speak out of turn because I don't know people at the company at the time or if, uh, but my impression, here we go. Here we go. My <laughs> yeah. impression, um, Nest. Nest yes. did this well. Okay, so Nest had the you know that very first smart th- mm-hmm. you know thermostat in your house. Completely different than everything else. Completely you know, different. No one cares about the thermostat. We're going to make you care about it. Yeah, exactly. And they did a great job of getting people to care about it. But there was so much more inside of that thermostat that people didn't realize, like the data, what it was telling people, the information that you had of what was happening in the home, how it could change things in the long term. It was going to cost a lot to get the broad-based awareness and acceptance that it needed. And so then when they got bought out, now they had that big company. The multiple was so much higher because what they were doing is they were hiring the engineers. They were hiring the brilliant people and the ideas behind it that got them to that point. And there was this understanding of the value of this in the future. And so they were able to sell their company for a very high multiple versus sales. Um, and so I think they did that well. 
You also talked in there about, you know, people getting tired a little <laughs> bit. But at Zildjian, everyone's so passionate. What's the secret to staying passionate? Oh, I wish I could bottle, right? The secret to staying passionate and keeping employees excited. I think there are some industries that just innately have it, and that's really cool. Music is one of them. If you are passionate about music, you're passionate about music. It's not something that comes and goes. Um, I'll be honest, I think it's harder to be passionate about pens, right? <laughs> like it's there are some industries, maybe it's a little harder to be super passionate yeah. about. I'm deeply passionate about Le Pen pens. Oh, just see? saying. Just there saying. you go. And, and Doesn't I, surprise me. I will, you know, I, I shouldn't use pens as an example because I use one very specific pen because oh. I have horrible penmanship and I need that very thin writing. Yeah. But this idea that, you know, when you go to a cocktail party and people say, what do you do? Right. Being able to say I'm in the music industry is really kind of fun. Um, I'm also told by my um, coworkers to be ready for people to give me demo tapes, which I can't wait for. I'm kind of excited <laughs> about that, going that's, to an yeah, event and sick. having somebody yeah. give me their demo yeah. tape. Listeners, viewers. No more, no more business cards. Yeah. <laughs> get yeah. get in like, on this early. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Here's be my prepared. demo USB stick. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a passionate industry. And so there's a level of that. Same thing with robotics, right? Passionate industry fitness, people are really passionate about it. And so keeping that passion alive and excitement for it, one of the things that we used to struggle with in any kind of an engineering world, and I think you probably get it in music too, is that people think about it from that big picture stuff, right? Like a building robots, we're gonna, I can't wait to go work at iRobot and build robots. And then they come in and they're making fan motors for vacuum yeah. cleaners. Yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah, right. Like that's not as exciting. So how do you keep that alive? Like, do you create inventors clubs, which is something we had where people could come up with ideas and partner with the marketing team to come up with a business plan. And then they pitch it to the CEO and the CEO decides if he's going to move any of those actually through to creation. So you're allowing their creative juices to flow and for them to do what they're passionate about. If you don't create those moments, people start to lose that passion because they come in to build robots and they're building fans, or they come in to, you know, change the sound of music and they're, you know, lathing a cymbal. Like it's different, right? So how do you keep them excited about the sound? And here we have some fun things, like I said, that we do. I mentioned I'm getting a, I'm a very excited Monday. I'm going to have my first drumming lesson. It's going to be with a bunch of 10 and 12 year olds, but I don't care. Um, it's going to be me sitting down. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little embarrassing, but we have amazing drummers here, um, you know, touring drummers who work here, some in artist relations and some in different divisions and different departments. And we're having a, a bring your family member to work day on the 10th. <laughs> and so we're going to have drum lessons for all of them and tours and That's fun cool. things, which is, again, goes to that kind of engaging in fun environment. When your parent or your spouse or your partner works at a cool company, you want to see what's going on kind of behind the curtain. And it's really yeah. fun to allow them in to do that. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how many industries seem so exciting. And then, you know, you get into them and like, I think film is the same way. Like mm -hmm. I want to do film so bad. And then when I saw what was actually happening in like on a set, you're like, wow, this is really tedious. And uh, this yeah. takes forever. And I am a like tiny little cog in this machine. And, you know, I completely agree with you. And it's such good advice, like finding the way, you know, if someone comes in, they're really passionate about tech, really passionate, in my case, about video or telling stories or what have you, like, if they're not actually doing that in some way, you're, you're going to lose, lose them. passion. Absolutely. And conversely, if you can find that outlet, it can make such a huge 
difference. Like that could be the difference between sustaining on the work and then ultimately you get more experience and some of those ideas do come to fruition and they do get put in and now you are doing the thing that you dreamed of doing. That's exactly right. That kind of show, show me, don't tell me that you can do it. And I, you know, I'm a big proponent of that. If people are super passionate about something or think we should be doing something, I'm often like, all right, show me. Like you told me you can do this, show me you can do this, right? Like, let's see, let's see that passion come through in this project. So I think giving people that opportunity and that um, time to put against that is really important in a company. Keeps them yes. healthy. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so fun to see you again and catch up and really just like get advice and, and hear how you think about the world. It's so fascinating and helpful, I think. Thank for you. me, certainly, and I'm sure for our audience as well. How can people connect with you after this? What's the best way for them to follow and connect? Great. Yeah. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Easy to find me there. It's Nancy Dusso smith That's D-U-S-S-A-U-L-T. Um, also, feel free to reach out on the socials. Um, I am on... Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, TikTok as a, did I say Baba the Saint? Yeah. Uh, but Baba my, because yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm at. But my Instagram is ndusso 17 or um, feel free to reach out through email. I'm always interested to hear what people have to say in connecting. And my email, my, I'm happy to give out my work email. I don't mind. It's nsmith at zildjian.com. Awesome. Thanks, Nancy. You know, it's my pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you. Nancy's so fun. She's great. I mean, started out the gate with Beethoven, a.k.a. Bubba, and then couldn't couldn't believe some of the things. Like, 400 years old Zildjian is? I wish we'd done more research. That was, you know. (laughs) Well, I knew knew that it was one of the oldest companies, but I don't think I I fully appreciated. Yes. That's like 1600s. It's also just, yes. And of course, I made it American in my like yeah. Mayflower yeah. comment. So sorry. Classic you. Turkey. I know. You're so focused on the United States of America and you pre-colonial know, I US. just saw my favorite bag of all time. Uh, tote bag said, don't call me an American. I'm a New Yorker. Couldn't agree more. But back to Nancy. <laughs> Who's a Bostonian? That is so on brand for you. I know. That's just know. absolutely. That's that's Quint right there. That's Quint. It totally makes sense. Like I was, I was thinking, like, how did she go from iRobot and Hydro to Zildjian, yeah. and like the connective tissue of finding passion and innovation was yeah. just like you could totally see how that trajectory made sense, and also like. I can't believe that a 400-year-old company, A, is, like, planning to be around for another 400 years, and B, is still, like, trying to think of new stuff to do. It's wild. Yeah, I feel like I get my ego checked on this a lot because I think to myself, new company, new startup, doing something that's never been done before, that's the most innovative thing. And I think the reason why I say out loud, like, I've said this on a lot of episodes, I've said this in a lot of brand wagons, like, oh, these massive... B2C companies are constantly innovating because you forget you forget that the reason why they've been relevant for so long is because they are actually taking risks and innovating and they're early adopters. Yeah. It's a weird thing to think of. It's like consumer packaged goods is an example. That's not Zildjian at all. But like CPG, biggest advertisers for a long time. What are they selling? Commodity products. The products are basically the same, right? Mm-hmm. If you get tied you, and you get some other that downy or whatever, are they actually that different? 
No, no. But there's differences, but they're not that. They both wash your clothes. Yeah, like, right. There's right. different scents. You can you get yeah. it unscented from both. Like, I'm like, do you want to pr- go deep on laundry right I, now? I don't could, really. But- I don't really. But the point I'm making is like, and yet by these consistent things everyone needs and people are going to wash their clothes 10 years from now, like they're going to wash them 20 years from now, like it, it comes back to like the brand and innovation and staying relevant, figure out where people are spending their time and going there. And it's kind of shocking how quickly it can happen. And then you have a startup, which maybe is native to that new thing. And guess what? The new thing changes a lot faster than it used to. Right. Right. Like TikTok, we've talked a lot about it recently. Very relevant right now. Will it be very relevant in three years? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I, I think th- I think yes, but well, I think it seems today. But like, if Instagram and other startups, I mean, TikTok wasn't as relevant three years ago, right? right. So like, what else will come? I don't. I don't know. And so, yeah. just being willing to switch and try and innovate and do the next thing is so important to be lasting. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an easy thing to miss in the early like startup days. Totally agree. So yeah, this is a fun one. This is a good one. And I also want to take a drum lesson. You should. You okay. should get out there. Yeah, get your little tote bag and put some symbols in there, and you know, get your little drum kit. I was ratatating on this desk. Were you? Just ratatating. Oh, just ratatating. Great. Well, on that note, uh, don't forget to rat and tat the uh, reviews wherever you listen to the show or watch the show. Rate and review the show. We love it. It helps us a lot. Uh, we appreciate it. If you have ideas for guests or feedback, please email us at ttlpodawist.com. You can find me on Twitter at csavage. I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Savage, all over the place. And you can find Sylvia at Give Me the Loot. It's true. On Twitter and LinkedIn. Yep. Cool. Cool. I think that's it. Have a great day, everyone. See you soon. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.